Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for joining me on another trail journey. I've got a really great one today. You know, I've been doing a lot of conversations as of late about mental health, mental health awareness, and how running has helped out depression and turned it into a very uh, healthy obsession. And my next guest is falls along that same category. She's got a really great, inspiring story. She's an award-winning author, an ultra marathoner, a mental health advocate, and dog mom. Her first book, Depression Hates a Moving Target, talks about how running with her dog really changed her life around, got her back from the brink of despair. So I cannot, cannot wait to talk to her about this conversation, her story, let you guys listen in on it. So let's just get right into it. Welcome to The Trail Life, Nita Sweeney. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For over 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technology, and craftsmanship has driven them to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost or on Solomon.com. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Built with Chocolate Milk. Recover from every workout with chocolate milk. It's the sports drink nature intended. Get more information at dairydiscoveryzone.com forward slash built. Well, help me turn the turn you know, you, you say the word running and I can just start talking for three hours. So Jeff will have to read me in. Well, well that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I have the same issue, right? So people tell me I talk way too much. So same thing, just wave your hands at me and tell me to, to cut me off a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been having a lot of conversations about mental health um, based really based on uh, some friends dealing with it in the past and mental health awareness month coming up. So I felt that this conversation really hits home and, and sits right in the in the pocket of where we're having a lot of our conversations now. And I think it's very important to continue to grow the conversation about mental health. So um, again, I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing your story. So I want to get into Anita. Like I, I was reading a little bit of, I read it, like I said, on I, I downloaded your book and I've heard a little bit of the sample of the book and, and kind of got into it a little bit. What was interesting to me is you didn't start running until you were 49 years old. And, correct. <laughs> and so, but before that you pretty much a couch potato depression. Like I, I would love to hear uh, your story about how, how that came to be, like how, why all of the depression was it dealt with some of the stuff from maybe past athletics or no, no athletic background to help, help out with that. And then how that got in, how you got into running based on that, because starting at 49 is you don't really hear that a lot. You know, there is a lot of older runners, 40, 50, 60 year old runners, but a lot, a lot of people start at 49 years old. So I believe that my mental health challenges were both genetic and um, possibly situational. So nature and nurture mental illness runs in my family. We've had you know, we've lost family members to, to suicide, things like that. Um, generations back, generations back. And I've always had 
kind of the melancholy nature. And especially when I was in college, it turned pretty bad. And that was, you know, I started in therapy and I didn't actually get on medication until I was in my thirties. And that, that really helped. I'm on still on a tiny dose of meds, which I, at one point I was on six meds and uh, thanks to running, I'm not. And I see a therapist and I have a psychiatrist. So I have all the professional tools because I have this kind of chronic thing that occurs from time to time. And I go really far down. So I have been hospitalized for depression. I um, have, you know, come this close to taking my own life, very, very close, have a lot of suicidal ideation. And so it's sort of something I live with, but I wasn't living with it very well when I started running. And what happened in 2007, we call it the year that everyone died. So it started with my 24-year-old niece. She died of cancer in February. Then... Over the course of a year, seven people, including her, her cat, my father-in-law and my mother, and then four other people all died with my mother dying in December. I would, like I said, I was already dealing with this propensity toward depression and losing that many people at, in that short period of time, it just took my feet out from under me. So I had about a year and a half of kind of numbness. I was in graduate school and somehow I finish, but I think they may have just carried me through. (laughs) I was a low res program. And I, you know, a lot of the work had been done before all that happened. And when it was over then in, uh, would have been in late 2009, I was lost and I'd been trying to sell a different book than the one that finally sold. I wasn't having luck with that. Just a lot of things were not going well on top of my natural propensity to just be a down person, just have that kind of natural, like a lack of the happy brain chemicals. So I'm sitting on the sofa, might've been eating bonbons, I can't remember, but I was um, on social media and a high school friend who was the same age as me, who was the same size, which I have lost a bit of weight, actually quite a bit of weight from running and other things, diet, you know, she posted, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. (laughs) And I just thought she was really bonkers. I just thought it was the most insane. We we both rode horses. I was in marching band. I think she may have been in choir. I mean, that was the extent of our athletic ability. We didn't play any sports. We weren't, you know, athletic at all. And so I kind of, you know, wrote, wow, this is interesting or something like that without being derogatory. And then I watched and she was doing what I now know is couch to 5k, but I watched and she was having fun and I was not having fun. I was really not sure I wanted to be around anymore. So I kept watching her and, you know, she wasn't doing anything amazing. Well, it seemed amazing to me, but, you know, she wasn't running on ultra marathon. She wasn't um, going for the Olympics. She was running around her neighborhood. Yeah. And it was this simple little thing. So eventually I got brave and I looked up the couch to 5k plan and it said 60 seconds of jogging. Now it said other things too, but that's what stuck in my mind. And at that point in my life, 
that was all I could handle was the idea of doing something for 60 seconds. And so, you know, I didn't start right away. Even then Um, I live in central Ohio where the winters can be kind of brutal. And when winter, the real icy part of winter started to turn into spring and the flowers actually come through the snow, like crocuses, little purple flowers come through the snow. One day I thought I got nothing to lose here. Yeah. I mean, I really just felt like I was done. And I, you know, dug to the back of the closet, pulled out probably some Velcro, Velcro sneakers. And I mean, I just, I had nothing. I had nothing. And, uh, and then I took the dog as a decoy down into this hidden ravine. I call it the ravine, Don Ravine. Um, took a digital kitchen timer because I didn't have a watch or anything and set it for 60 seconds. And then stood there for a long time until I got up my courage. <laughs> I just was so afraid that this jogging was going to be awful. And it wasn't. I jogged for 60 seconds and I thought, well, that wasn't bad. And so then it said to, you know, walk for two minutes or something and then jog again for 60 seconds. So I think the total workout was 20 minutes and I had walked down there, which was five minutes of it. And then I walked back and that's how it started was just by trying something that seemed like it absolutely would not help at all. Um, and it did. It did. And so I because I like structure, I had once I did that one part of the plan, then I printed out the plan and put it on the end of my bookcase. And I would uh, I think it was like three days a week the workouts were. And I'd come home and I'd make a little check mark next to the whatever workout I'd done. And so that was a little dopamine hit. And it just kind of pulled me in because there was, I mean, I, you know, I've been on all these different meds. They kept changing my meds. I'd had just different types of therapy and it was just something different. And ultimately it, I mean, I, this sounds great. I mean, this sounds like I'm really, really um, exaggerating, but it completely changed my life. <laughs> I mean, it really did. It just yeah. completely changed my life. So, um, so yeah, that's, I was not athletic. I had tried to run when I was younger. So maybe when I was 25 or, um, but what I was actually doing was sprinting. I wasn't running the way we do now where, yeah. where you're going to go long distance. You got to pace yourself. No, I was running as hard as I could, as fast as I could to try to lose weight. And I did, but you can't sustain that. I mean, no, even definitely not. You know, the fastest sprinters in the world, they don't do that every single day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, what I, what I find is really interesting and I've heard this uh, before um, and, and your dog is a huge part of, of your running uh, mentality, right? How people like, I, I it always amazes me because it's, you say you use the dog as a decoy. And did you feel that it was kind of one of those things like people would look at the dog first before they look at you trying to run? Is that? Well, I see, I went down to this, I walked the dog down to this ravine mm-hmm. and I didn't run until I was in the ravine. And mind you, I live in a suburban neighborhood. This was like a Wednesday at noon nobody was home, but I have a little street paranoia. <laughs> and so the people who weren't in their houses couldn't see me, or if they did, they would think I was just walking my dog. So there was a lot of mental, I still have some mental you know, agitation that goes on, but that's what it was. I thought, well, they'll just think I'm walking the dog right. and they won't laugh at me. They won't laugh at this 49 year old overweight woman in probably pink sweatpants and Velcro tennies trying to jog. I mean, that's, that's kind of what my thought was. And the interesting thing is 
we all know, and I knew it then too, is most people actually aren't paying that much attention to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. They're paying attention to themselves. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> they yeah. might be comparing themselves to you, but they're not really judging that much. So um, so that's what the dog was. And the dog too, it was companionship because the unconditional love. I mean, he was just there at, well, I stood there in the ravine. He was standing there looking at me like, mom, we can do this. We can do this. <laughs> so he, was, he was all into it. Um, and that was very helpful to me because he became kind of like an emotional coach to me because he always wanted to go, always wants to go, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think that's kind of one of the, one of the big things is people get so self-conscious of, Hey, somebody's running down the street. Are they looking at me? Are they doing that? So it's interesting to hear that when people, even, even if you're not battling with some mental issues, right. You're just dealing with some self-conscious issues. Like people, I don't want them to make fun of me. I don't want them to like, look at me weird or whatever it is. Right. So, you know, to listen to people, like say they, they love to have their dog with them just for that. I mean, it makes a ton of sense by the way, but yeah, um, yeah, he was definitely, um, a decoy, a partner. And, you know, that's, that was sort of the thing with him. So yeah, now, <clears throat> this was a great dog. Yeah. So we, we get into the couch to 5k situation where you're out doing, you know, three days a week, 60 seconds on two minutes off, whatever it is. When, how long did you go along this program until you got to that point where you were comfortable enough to say, hey, you know what, I, I want to try running in a group or running in a race. Like what was your, what was your time frame in that? Do you remember? Well, about nine months to a year. Okay. Um, so I, the, the interesting thing was I never meant to run anywhere other than my neighborhood. Yeah. But my, I made the mistake of telling, I didn't tell anybody at first. I didn't tell my husband, my closest person. Oh, no kidding. But eventually I, it took a couple of weeks because, and I'll tell you why. How many times had he heard me rave about the mini trampoline, about the <laughs> about yeah. the Zumba class, about yeah. the, oh, this therapy is going to be it. Oh, mm -hmm. this is going to fix me. Oh, the milkshakes, the uh, vitamin D. The, I mean, not that milkshakes and vitamin D aren't good. I like them. <laughs> but, you know, how many times had I... Um, in my mind, disappointed him, which he would tell you, no, that's not, he's an amazing guy. And so I wouldn't, I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint myself. And so I just held back and thought, let's just see how this goes, which is not like me. I'm more of a, oh, let's, you know, this is going to be it. This is going to be a kind of person looking for the silver bullet and um, never thinking this might be it. And so I joined an online group eventually just to sort of find out shoes what what am i supposed to be wearing <laughs> and yeah. um and then but the the thing that happened is i made the mistake of telling my sister and my sister is the mother of the niece that died it was her only only child that died in 2007 so i don't know a month went by and she emailed me and she was involved in a group that was raising money for research for um you know, to battle the cancer that my niece died of. and she said there's this race and I went, no, I'm a private runner. <laughs> oh my God, no. And uh, so it, it took me a little while. I mean, that is so self-centered, but that's that's what mental health issues do to you yeah. um, is it, you look really self-centered, but it's actually self-preservation. I mean, it's like the it's the best I could do. So eventually I thought, all right, for God's sakes, Jamie died. You know, I mean, really, Nita, you can do this. And then I went to the race 
oh my gosh, people of all sizes, all ages, all colors and all kinds of clothes, all, you know, they brought their dogs or they're not, they have strollers. They have, I mean, it was a big charity race. It just blew my mind because I'd watched the Boston Marathon or the, yeah. you know, I've seen the yeah. photos of the elite athletes and I'm, these, that, there were three of them that looked like that. And the other 500 people looked like me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, um, so it just blew everything wide open. So after that, I started doing um, more races. Like I wanted to do a turkey trot and I wanted to do a Christmas. You know, I got, I got kind of into that whole um, raising money for charity and being with other people. Um, and it wasn't until I wanted, decided I wanted to do a half marathon. And the reason I joined the group kind of against, against my nature, because I tend to be very introverted, but I knew that I would need a training plan. And I didn't, I knew I'd need, I just didn't think I could do it alone. I just really didn't think I, and people do it all the time, but I just didn't think I could. And as it turned out, there were people that I didn't even know were runners that were friends of mine that were in that group. It was the craziest thing where all of a sudden I would start meeting these people. It's sort of like, uh, you know, I just, the, my radar suddenly was on the runners. And so I joined them in, we'd uh, like the following June, I joined Marathoner in Training, which is the local group through Fleet Feet Columbus here, mm-hmm. Fleet Feet and Front Runner Columbus. And it's a big group. So I was pretty intimidated, but they break you down into these little pace groups. And then when you're in the pace group, you're only running next to you know one or two people you can't be because they're on on trails on bike trails um or in and they're in the woods you know nice wooded area gorgeous along the um river and so i was not in this giant group all the time which was very very helpful but uh but i had to i still some days have to get over that where it's like oh my god there's gonna be all these people (laughs) like i just did virginia beach oh my gosh it was huge but i have my little tricks now i learned little tricks of how to deal with all that you know so and it's worth it i think that's the thing is that you once you get to a place where you realize how much the running helps all the things that my mind previously said, they're just so small, inconsequential compared to the benefit I get from uh, from running and running races and being with the people who run and having that community, all of that. So important. The community especially is really important. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, that's you know, when you talk about all these people being at, at the race, like 10,000, 5,000 people it gets, it does get to be a little anxiety stricken, right? Like shoulder to shoulder, especially nowadays after post COVID when people are trying to get back into it. Right. It's, I can see how, I can see how people that deal with anxiety can get even more anxious now because of that and huge groups and everything else. But also I think that's why uh, I love the trail running side of things so much because you don't have to deal with, you're not, you don't have to, you don't, you're not working with 5,000 runners, 10,000, even a thousand runners, you're dealing with 400 and it's right. makes or it a, that or if that yeah. and it makes it a little bit more inviting to that scenario. So that brings me up to my my question about your ultra marathon. How did <laughs> doing doing couch to 5k and signing up for your first road race half marathon, like where was where was that transition to be like, you know what? I'm gonna do an ultra marathon, I'm gonna try this out. Like, how many races had you done 
prior to that, oh, that got you, you. That, that got you to that point. And <laughs> what got you into like deciding to do that ultra race? Like which one did you do? I did Eagle up, which I believe having done no other ultra is the easiest ultra there is, but I have no idea. Okay. It's in um, Northeastern Ohio. It's flat. It's a five mile loop and you have 24 hours to do it. Okay. So I did the 50 K I have done uh, three fulls. So 26.2 I've done 31 half marathons in 19 states. I'm working through the 50 states. I've done, I lost count after a hundred of the other shorter races. I'm kind of got the race bug and a lot of them were smaller races too. I've done them in, you know, all kinds of locations, but when you hang around in a barber shop, eventually you're going to get a haircut. And so (laughs) I, I'm in this running community and first it was, Oh, let's all do the half marathon. Cause that's why we signed up. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, well, this small group over here is doing the marathon. Uh, you know, eventually you're doing all the next thing, you know, you're signed up for the Columbus marathon and oh, well, we'll do it next year too. And Oh, what about Xenia? You know, so, um, that's how that happened. And that the different pace groups, people change pace groups. Sometimes they get faster. Sometimes they get slower. There's a run walk group. Eventually I joined the run walk group because it's a little bit easier on my body as I age. And I do have a, I talk about this in the, in the memoir a lot that I have a congenital ankle defect. And so I'll probably never do the kind of trail runs, races, ultras, even most people think of you're in the mountains, you're going up and down and around. I would love that. My ankle won't do that. My ankle won't do that. I have to have a relatively um, flat surface. Um, the right ankle would love it. It would get all that movement and it would just love it. And the left ankle would freeze up and we'd never walk again. So the ultra I did had that. It's a gravel surface, but it's a it's along the towpath in uh, the, um, I think it's the Ohio Erie Canal in uh, Canal Fulton, Ohio. And my friends were doing it and they had done it before and they told me how it wasn't so bad. And, and the campsite, the trail actually runs right through the campsite. So every five miles, you're back at the bathroom, you're back at the water stop, you're back at your tent. You know, people change their clothes, they stop and take a nap, they eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, it's like, it sounds like a party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and let's do some math. What is 26.2? Uh, or rather, let's do the other one. Thirty-one minus twenty-six point two. Yeah, it's a it's a five k. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not even. It's a little more than five k. It's like five miles. Yeah. And so when I thought about it that way, I went and no time limit. Hmm. That was what happened. Yeah. And then uh, I expected every single distance. I always expect, okay, that's one and done. And then I do it and I'm miserable, maybe a little bit afterwards. And then the next day I'm signing up for the next one. So, you know, the next day I signed up for it the next year. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, Eagle Up, Canal Fulton, I think there's still spots. It's uh, June 4th. I don't know when this is going to air, but June 4th, uh, it's always the first Saturday in June. So it's going to be, you know, last year it was eh, maybe by th- Two in the afternoon, it was probably 75 degrees and 70% humidity. <laughs> and you're so, in is it a, so is it a, a 50K is their max distance or is it a one of those no, no, no. Go, go as long as you can in a 24-hour period type of thing? They have uh, 
five races, I think. There's a 50K, a 50-miler, 100K, a 100-miler, and a 24-hour. Got it. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, team red, white, and blue people are to be there. They'll be, you know, carrying the flag. Oh, the best thing was this couple that every loop they dressed in costume and every loop they stopped and changed their costumes. <laughs> so they were in like Fred and Wilma Flintstone. They were uh, Carmen, da- um, uh, Waldo and Carmen Sandiego. It was, I mean, it was just, a, and so they would pass me of course, every, every time I'd, I'd yeah. see them maybe in a different costume. I mean, people really have fun with this. And then they have a real, I think they have a relay too. And so, you know, I'm kind of moseying along and these people are just, flying past me because I didn't know there was a relay. And finally I asked somebody, I said, Oh my God, what are these people? How far are they doing a 50 K? They're doing like seven minute miles. No, no, Anita, they're in the relay. (laughs) So they have some, but they were setting, they set some kind of record. I wish I knew that stat last year at Eagle up the relay set some kind of amazing relay record. And I mean, they were booking it. It was amazing to see the, just the talent that, pure talent out there so it's you know um and the great thing about it is because you have 24 hours so yeah i try i i didn't want to be out there for 24 hours obviously especially not in the dark um although people do the dark i know it's like i'm i'm a, I'm a trail wimp i don't care i love it um, but, um, <laughs> that's okay you gotta start somewhere yeah 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 but um but they um excuse me i wasn't gonna say in in a in a marathon because i'm so slow in a regular um, marathon that's not a trail marathon or that's not one of the marathons like mainly marathons where, where you they stay to the last person finishes usually there's a course limit because they've closed the streets they have to you know the city of grandview heights doesn't want the columbus marathon shutting down their streets for 12 hours you know it's and, like that. and nor do the so, race directors want to be paying for 24-hour uh great road closures that's right, right. <laughs> and all the i mean think about every police officer at all those i mean i know the race director i know Darius blackford and i mean it's a it's crazy how much goes into, especially a big race like that. That's a Columbus Marathon's a pretty good size race. And to not have that pressure of thinking, oh my God, am I going to get swept? Am I going to get swept? Am I going to get swept? Because when you have the kind of brain I do, I don't care if they give me a nine hour limit. I mean, I'd beat that by maybe not three hours, but two and a half. Um, but the whole time I'd be watching my watch. Yeah. Whereas, I kept thinking you can kind of relax. I mean, I was still trying to do a decent pace and keep going. And I don't know. I just wanted to have my first one. You feel like a real success and it did, but, uh, but to not have that sort of gun to your head feeling and to be in the woods um, and we're next to the canal. So half the time you're next to the, the water and then there's a farm. And so there's these cows you know, you boys be like, "Hey, cow, how you doing?" I mean, it was just amazing. It's like <laughs> it's the beauty. Of, it's the beauty of trail running. You don't get that during the urban road races, right? Yeah. It's it takes yeah. your. It also helps take your mind off a lot of that stuff. Like it, you yes. can get lost in the trails versus lost in your own mentality of, "Am I going to do this? How hard this is? Whatever it is, like you're able to." kind of take in the scenery a little bit more. That's part of the reason the trail running is so intriguing to me and um, yes, why I think more people get into it and stay in it once they get there. But um, yeah, what was uh five mile loop aside, like going into doing that, that first 50 K for you, like what was, what were some of the different uh, maybe training challenges you had? like both mentally and physically um, with that, because I mean, we, we talk about there's a five mile difference between a full marathon and a 50 K, but still 
that can kind of toll on it a little bit as far oh, as yeah. as the separation there goes. So where were you uh, having to make adjustments as far as both mentally and physically? Well, the first problem was that I forgot I was signed up for the race. Oh, well, that's number one. It yes. <laughs> it was canceled in 2020 and I had signed up in 2020. Um, I started getting emails from them again. And I thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, I'll do this someday. It'll be great. And then it, it occurred to me that they were emails with instructions for what to do on race day. <laughs> and it was about, it was like the end of April and the race is in June. And I was, I was training for a half marathon, maybe the third week of May or something like that. That's what my was on my training plan. And so then I went, looked, and it turned out I was actually signed up. So um, the first challenge was just, can I do it at all? Should I even try it at this point as under trained as I am? And I work with this uh, guy, Denny Cray. He's a, a running coach. And he said, you're not undertrained. You're well-rested. And so there you go. <laughs> so, that uh, is, so that is the silver lining right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, um, but he said, um, he's, he, so we'd start doing back-to-back. So I never did. A lot of my friends were doing, you know, 22 miles, 24 miles, 26 miles. I never did that. The longest I did was on Saturday, I ran 18. And then on Sunday, I ran 10. That was my longest run two weeks before, but it was mostly, I guess the challenge was just the word ultra. I mean, really, that was the, that was kind of the it. And then um, knowing that it wasn't uh, like I, most of the people camped on the site and our camping days are over. Let's just say that <laughs> my husband's a little bit of lime and, and our camping days are over. So we had, we got, we found an Airbnb it's very rural there. And so it was hard to find an Airbnb. We did find one that was about nine minutes from the, from the course. So we stayed there instead of um, in a tent. So once I had those logistics kind of figured out that helped calm the mind down. And then it was just get out there and train and train in some heat. So instead of starting my training runs at 6am, start at 10 and be out there for 18 miles for a couple of hours, I mean, yeah. many hours for me, um, and figure out is our salt sticks going to do it? How much hydration are you going to need? What's going to, you know, what's going to make you not throw up and to experimenting and having all that happening um, up to the race, mostly just to calm my mind down. And then once I got there and got going, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't easy at all. It was hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it, it just went because I had worked through all the, um, I don't know, variables. I had tried this and that and the other. And, and I'd been running long enough too. And I'd run in enough hot races where it was really humid and that I knew pretty much what worked. And I figured, okay, this is probably going to work there too. Um, but I did, I did slow down uh, considerably, let myself snack at their amazing Aid, you know, they have with it. The joke was that that a trail run is just you're just running through the woods, woods looking for red tents, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, snacks. Yeah, so exactly. I let myself try some things, you know, and um, um, and the pickles that the, the pickle pickle juice was my thing, you know, that was kind of my my thing because it was it was really hot, it was really really hot. Um, not I mean, I wasn't bad water hot, I know that, but for central Ohio, it was uh, it was kind of a brutal day. Um, but yeah, I think, and then the other thing, this is so silly, but I have run on on uh trails before that are um like a gravel path, yeah. and it. I know I always end up with rocks in my shoes. Well, that's one thing if you're on the gravel path for 10 miles 
But when you have rocks in your shoes for 31 miles, mm-hmm. I mean, I did have, I did change my shoes halfway through, but then within five minutes, they had rocks in them again. So this year I'm going to bring, I think I forget gators. I think they're called. Yep. So just some gear change up. Um, just even gators, just, I'm, I'm sure I will still wind up with rocks in my shoes, but not 107 rocks in each shoe. And I can do seven rocks in each shoe, but I can't, do, it was just, I mean, my, when I was done, my feet, my toes were purple and it was because yeah. all the rocks slid to the end of my toes and they're just banging against the rocks. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's one thing that, uh, you have to expect when you get into the ultra, uh, community or even just, just trail running altogether, like, you're, the rocks are going to slip into your shoes regardless of, yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of how, so wh- just, whatever kind it is. So Right. But you do, but you still, you're not going to go out there in sandals. Well, I guess there's some people that run barefoot, yeah. um, <laughs> but I think for me, I'm not going to go out. I'm going to do my best to keep, to minimize the number of rocks. Like I said, I can take seven rocks, but not 107. So <laughs> um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting because a lot of times I have kind of beginner's luck at things have sort of had that all my life. And the second of something sort of the sophomore slump. So I'm, I'm not that I'm expecting that. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to have that mindset, but I'm also being, kind of prepared for it if it does happen all the things i didn't know i now know yeah like i know how hard it is i know how hot it is i know there's bugs i know there's rocks i know you know and i didn't you didn't have all that knowledge and that can be good because it helps you prepare but it can sit there and be agitating also so well now that you're used to this what's the what's the next step signing up for that 50 mile no, no, uh, you know, I, uh, I won't. It's because I mean, it took me almost 10 hours. It took me, it was like nine hours and 57 yeah. minutes to do the 50K. I'm not sure. He won't listen to this. My husband's 80. Okay. I just turned 60. Now, now I have friends who are in their 70s that are doing the 50K and will beat me by an hour, an hour and a half. No problem. I mean, they're just one woman is just amazing. She does, you know, weights and speed work and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and the pandemic was hard on us. My husband had a heart attack. We were on book tour in Los Angeles and he had a heart attack at a hotel. He survived. We got him home. Um, he had open heart surgery. That was in like the very beginning of the pandemic. And then he had knee surgery last year. So we've had kind of a an extra challenging, not that, I mean, we didn't lose anybody in Conwood, um, but, but so he made me promise him that I would not sign up for the 50 He was, he couldn't believe I even signed up for the 50 but we did it. Yeah. It was very funny because when I heard, when I learned that I was still signed up, they have a very um, um, generous transfer policy at Eagle Up. So I could have sold my bib and um, had talked to somebody about that. And then I made the mistake of telling him that I was still signed up and, and we had not gone anywhere. I mean, he's, we, we usually travel. We had not gone anywhere, barely left the house for almost two years, you know, year and a half at least. And he's like, no, Canal Fulton, Ohio sounds fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. All right. 18 miles tomorrow. Um, But, um, um, but then when I signed up again this year, he kind of looked at me and said, really, we're going to do this again? (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. But I, you know, it's, it's, we have some great trails, Elm Creek, Delaware, 
um, Mohican up in Cleveland area there. I mean, there really are some great trail runs here. And I'm always sad because my heart, I really think if I didn't have that ankle, my heart would be on the trails. I mean, I'd be on the hills and the, they're not like Colorado or, you know, it's the big, um, that kind of mountainous stuff, but, um, um, but they're also, they're pretty, can be pretty challenging depending <laughs> on what time of year it is. I, I watch the people. I know who these people are. People come from out of town to them. Yeah. And, um, and so I can hike and do things at a slow pace, um, at, um, some of the parks here. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of envious in a way, but I also want to be running as long as I can want to be out there as long yeah. as I can. And so I'm, um, I don't go for the, you know, I haven't, I'm not going to do the Mohican if there's a, I'm, I don't know if there's a, I think Mohican might just be a hundred. I forget anyway, what Mohican is, but, um, but it's, they've got, you know, a, it kind of, that's the one people talk about here is Mohican. So I'm quite curious. You mentioned your, and I'll, I'll get into your book here in just a second. And one of the things when it, when you comes to running and keeping, keeping your mind healthy and physically, like how does your book tour affect some of the, some of the aspects of the running? Were you able to get out and do some runs out in LA and everything else? And, and then- yeah, yes, I did. I did some, not as much as I wanted to. I um, had, let's see, I'm trying to think I had been working my way through the 50 States pretty rapidly over a course of a couple of years. And so we would go to a half and we do them in little towns. My husband likes to go to the presidential libraries. And so we'd try to combine one where there was a presidential library or some museum he could go to. And that came to a crashing halt. I mean, that just had to stop because I had to really focus on selling books, promotion, Blog, I mean, all the kind of, it's the whole job. Um, you think once you've written the book, oh, that's great. Well, yeah, that's great. But there's a whole nother job that happens after you, after the book comes out. So that the book came out in May of 2019. So I did the Cleveland half marathon. My friends did the marathon and I was up there at the expo. And then I did a whole bunch of stuff during the summer, lots of travel, different places, ran a couple of shorter races, then did the Columbus I mentioned if I even ran the Columbus half, I did the expo. I had a table at the expo, Fleet Feet, um, sold the books and let me sign them there at the expo. So pretty much things just kind of ground to a halt and then pandemic. So it was a lot of virtual races. Um, everything was canceled, you know, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was rough. And I do, I will say that that's always been an issue. I kind of, if I'm really going to have an intense writing day, then it's going to be a really short run. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the part of it's just cause I'm slow. I just am. And that's okay. I mean, I have, I've done what I could to get faster and this is as good as it's going to get. And I don't care. I mean, I'm just happy to be out there, but, uh, but yeah, it is a juggle. I really respect people who have um, com- demanding jobs and families and, you know, and, and especially the ones that have spouses that don't get it. I mean, my husband really gets it. He watched the transition. He watched the transformation of me coming from nearly wanting, you know, being not being sure I wanted to be alive to, Oh my gosh, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm talking to this dude from the trail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, um, uh, so, so I really am grateful for the fact that I, um, can do this at all. But yeah, it was a, it was a joke. And then when Ed was sick, that was probably the hardest thing because he um, had the heart attack in February and we were in Los Angeles and then we didn't know he had a heart attack. It was a silent heart attack, but we knew he was really, really sick. 
And so we flew home, which we are so lucky he is alive. I mean, he could have died on that plane. It's just insane. Now, now that we think about it, I mean, the doctor's going to believe, you flew home? Oh, my God. Yeah. No, we flew home. And, um, yeah. and then he was in the hospital for about 10 days, and they sent him home because he had pneumonia, which we think he had COVID, but we don't know that because it was in February of 2020. So they weren't, if they were testing, they didn't test him. I don't know. Um, and so they sent him home to get over the pneumonia, and then he had open heart surgery. And then we had the open heart surgery. When he came off the vent, he couldn't swallow. And so then he was in the hospital for another, he was supposed to be there like four days or three days. And he was in the hospital for, you know, two and a half more weeks while they tried to get him to swallow. He couldn't. So they sent him home on a feeding tube um, for another, I don't know, two or three months before he finally could swallow. So basically from February to June was me trotting around the block once in a while, but mostly it was just taking care of him and being concerned about keeping, you know, the man I love the most alive. That's just the way it was. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I did still run though, because I'm a better person when I run. (laughs) I, uh, there were days when, when he first came home, he couldn't, he couldn't be alone. And so I was probably at least a week before I could get out again, because he just, I mean, he couldn't get out of a chair. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't do anything, you know, and that's just what you do. But as soon as I could get out there, even for a mile, dog and I leashed up and off we went because that was, you know, that's my left. I call it left foot, right foot road therapy. Well, hey, I, I want to finish this off with, um, you know, a lot of your in your memoir and a lot of your blogs, you talk about the three tools of the three pillars that you live by at this point in time. Um, and it's meditation, movement, and writing practice. And I'm hoping that you can kind of explain those a little bit for me. Sure, sure. Well, the movement, you know, for me, it's mostly running, but I believe it's anything where you get your heart rate up a little bit, where it just gets the circulation going. And especially if there's an achievement component to it at all, where you, and it doesn't have to be winning a race, nothing like that, but you say you're going to do something and you do it. So you say you're going to go play pickleball and you play pickleball. I mean, whatever it is. And you get that movement because we know tons of science behind it. You get the happy brain chemicals when you move your body. Um, It's not, you know, you can do thinking stuff, but you move the body and the happy brain chemicals come. So that's that's the big one. Uh, The other thing that I've done for many, many years is um, writing practice, which I learned from an author, Natalie Goldberg, her most famous book is, is writing down the bones. And it's a bit like journaling where you do timed writing and it's free writing. So you're just letting your mind unload onto the page. But with her, you often have a topic or you try to capture sensory detail. So it's not just me whining on the page. It's me in detail describing an experience. And the way I kind of combine that with movement is anytime I come back from a run, I will sit down, set a timer and just download everything I saw, everything I heard, everything I thought. Uh, Sometimes in the spring, there's lilacs. I smell the lilac, you know, anything like that. Any dogs I saw, did I know their names? What are they, you know, what were their owners wearing? Trying to get the details um, grounded. So my body's grounded in that and capturing that on the page. So that's writing practice. And it comes from the third one, which is meditation, because Natalie is a Zen meditator. And I have been meditating now for about 25 years that that guy, um, when we were dating, he said, hey, you want to sit? And I said, want to what? 
And what he meant was, do you want to meditate? And he set the microwave timer for five minutes and told me not to, to try not to fidget. That was my first meditation instruction was try not to fidget. <laughs> and so, um, um, so I did it because I liked the guy. Right. And uh, um, that was many, many years ago, but, but ultimately as I continued, I saw the benefits of that. And there's so much science that overlaps with the benefits of movement, very similar um, brain positive things happen cognitively, emotionally, um, you know, all of those things when you meditate also. And actually, the, I'll plug my next book. It's coming out in August. It's called Make Every Move a Meditation. And most of the meditative practices that I've studied are sitting practice where they, they focus on um, on sitting still and meditating because being still is it helps you calm your mind down when you still your body. But I've found that sometimes in motion, the same thing can happen if you use the same techniques. And so the book is about how to meditate when you're running, meditate when you're walking, meditate when you're playing pickleball, when you're playing Zoom, you know, doing any of those kinds of things. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that because it's, it's kind of a natural shift from the first book, which was all running and mental health. It was, you know, my running journey and kind of my, you know, welcome to my crazy mind while I train for a marathon because that's, <laughs> that could have been the tagline for the, for depression hates a moving target uh, with my dog. Um, but, uh, um, but what I didn't talk about, and I get that question and I didn't, it seems so obvious to me. I didn't talk much about kind of the how of it in depression hates a moving target. I mentioned that I meditate, but I meditate I very quickly figured out that I could meditate while I was running and that a lot of times I was actually already doing it. Most people are probably dropping into a meditative state when you're even at mile 20, you know, you get into a, per a particular place. You talked about, about the nature, about becoming kind of one with the nature or noticing, noticing the nature. Well, that's because you're, you're keeping your mind where your feet are, your head where your feet are. Yeah. And so it seemed like a natural progression to me. And my publisher was all in with it. She thought that my, the, the publisher, uh, Mango Publishing, they thought it was a great idea to, to kind of transfer that to the next book. They're always looking for the, to keep the market, you know, keep the same yeah. audience. So, so that's where we're going next. But, uh, but yeah, those are the three. So meditation, movement and writing practice. Uh, Nita, thank you so much for sharing your story and talking about uh, mental health awareness and how running helped you out. Uh, the book is Depression Hates a Moving Target. That's the, the book that was out previously that you can get on uh, Amazon Audible. This is how I got it. Uh, and her new book is coming out in August, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, correct. That, it's up that is, pre Yep. That is Make Every Move a Meditation. So right. two really great books to check out. Um, and I will put all of that in the show notes. I'll put in uh, some contact information for Nita so you can reach out to her with questions. But yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. You asked great questions. And thank you for featuring people who have mental health issues or have faced it or working with it because it's there's so many people, especially with the pandemic. It was a huge population before that. And the pandemic just lit it on fire. So thank you. This is important work. I really appreciate it. All right. 
right, that'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. Special shout out to Nita Sweeney for joining me today and sharing her remarkable story. As I said, been kind of on this uh, mental health uh, kick as far as how people are working through or have worked it out as far as their mental health issues, anxiety, uh, depression, whatever it is, and how running has helped that. Uh, And as we move into May and Mental Health Awareness Month, I thought this was a great way to get into the month uh, with that coming up. But, uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed her her journey. Uh, I hope you can check out her book. It's Depression Hates a Moving Target. It is available on Audible and anywhere where you can find hardback books. But yeah, I I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you guys did too. Thank you everybody for listening in once again. And and I will see you out on the trails real soon. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For over 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technology, and craftsmanship has driven them to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge check them out today at your local running store like runner's roost or on solomon.com this episode of the trail life podcast is brought to you by built with chocolate milk recover from every workout with chocolate milk it's the sports drink nature intended get more information at dairydiscoveryzone.com forward slash built